Good day. Welcome in. It is the Bill Michaels Show. Ben Kenny, Grand Bill's in for Bill Michaels. Welcome to the rest of the network joining us for this hour. Grant, so we mentioned early in the last hour as the show was leading off about where the Bucks now stand in the East. Everything looked different this weekend than it had when the games were played in Milwaukee. They they demolished the Bulls. They they smashed them in every facet of the game. Neither of them were even close to competitive. I guess I ask you first, what significantly changed aside from just doing the little things right and not throwing the ball out of bounds pretty much every time they got on a fast break? Oh, what changed? Hmm, I think the focus was there, right? They were dialed in. Maybe they needed to lose a game or maybe they needed to lose Chris Middleton. Maybe they just needed something. I The Bucks had beaten the Bulls, I think, 16 out of 17 times coming into the series. And it would be easy for me as a fan to say, well, it's the playoffs. You still got to be locked in and, you know, you can't show up and, and play half-assed. But if you'd beaten a team 16 out of 17 times, man, you, you like, do you know how hard it would be to come in and be locked in right away? So I guess I don't necessarily fault the Bucks for starting a little slow. I think going into Milwaukee probably, or going into Chicago rather, probably woke them up, made them feel like they had to sharpen up a little bit. Um, so I think the overall energy was different, but... Grayson Allen's playing great. He's finding open spots on the floor. Giannis and Drew are getting him the ball, and he's knocking down his threes. His defense was there. And Grayson Allen yesterday, seeing we're probably going to talk more about Grayson Allen, Hmm. he said after the game, it's like, when I play good on defense, that translates to my offense. Grayson Allen had three steals yesterday. Pat Connaughton looked as good as he's looked in this postseason so far. I thought his energy was really good. He didn't take a lot of shots. He's kind of taking a backseat role at least as a bench player to Grayson Allen, but he was flying around on defense. He was making impact plays. He was active. I I just, I I think they woke up and the energy of that waking up after game two, I think really led to all of these different individuals playing so much better. So I I think maybe, maybe going into Chicago, maybe losing a game, maybe losing Chris Middleton. I I don't know, but it, it, the vibe completely changed this weekend and the effects were seen in, in all of these different players all over the game. So you mentioned the defense, and I think that's really interesting because the duo of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are very formidable, obviously. But I also think, I I feel like the perimeter defending unit of Drew Holiday and Grayson Allen isn't much of a step down at all. And Grayson Allen obviously didn't start the basketball game, but you look at what they did against DeMar DeRozan. And part of that, I think, was Coach Bud. He he did a really good job of throwing like a Giannis or someone in there as like a free safety where wherever whenever DeRozan would try to drive, uh, Giannis would, would sag off of Vucevic or, or whoever he was on, Patrick Williams. Um, but DeRozan, 8 of 20 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3. I, I think the perimeter defending unit was so much better than that. Uh, a lot of the shots the Bulls were taking were more challenging. You do expect a lot of role players to shoot better when they're at home than they do on the road. But I, I think the tone was set. And then it, even in those games, it still took a little bit. Like Milwaukee was up 25-22 at the end of the first. And then as soon as that second quarter started and, and Grayson Allen started hitting everything, they they went off. So I think the defense is a big part of that. I think what Coach Bud has done against DeRozan and against Levine and some of the perimeter guys has been really impressive. But I think the biggest thing is what you mentioned. I, I just think the focus was better. I, I It was remarkably better. And maybe losing a game is what they needed. I don't know necessarily the Chris Middleton loss. But, I, I yeah. mean, and part of that also, I think, is I 
when you get a guy in Grayson Allen that is now getting a chance to have a significant role on a title contending team, and then a guy goes down, he is one. He's been one of the players. It's he has a chip on his shoulder, and sometimes he does take that out by tripping people. But that chip does also show up when someone has to take a significant role, right? He needs to be a scorer. He needs to play defense. I think he has the his mental makeup. I think is perfectly fit for going into that role and doing well. That was a compliment for Grayson Allen, by the way. I just complimented Grayson Allen, and that's all I'm going to do. Yeah, well, well done. That was a fair compliment. You didn't go over the top with praise. Um, Giannis has asked after the game, and I have a cut. I'll probably play this on my show later tonight, or maybe we have it somewhere in in today's show. Who knows? But he was asked, like, did you guys need to lose a game? And I liked Giannis' answer. It was basically like, well, no, probably not. But he, he also didn't go so far as to say that it didn't help. Right. So maybe losing that game changed the energy. Yeah. I also think defensively they were more dialed in. And I talked about this on my show on Friday. If Alex Caruso is going to play point guard for the Bulls, you need to make him work. And they made him work. Right. They just pressured him a little bit and tired him out throughout the game. And if you're going to let DeMar DeRozan take all these shots, at least at least make him work. Right. If don't let him just waltz into his spot and he'll still make some shots because he's a tough shot maker and Caruso will still make some plays. But you just need to make these guys work a little bit harder on offense. Don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just make them work a little bit harder. The Bucks did a great job of that this weekend, and the results were really, really obvious. So going in, I did not think that game three was a must win. And it's a cliche term that's thrown around a lot. Is it a must win? Is it a can't lose? You know, I love it. Could they, if they go down 2-1, is is the season over? Are they gonna are, are they no longer title contenders? I didn't think it was a must win. I thought it was a must to look good. I thought the Bucks had to go into Chicago and put out an effort that looked a lot better than the previous two games. Yet, if Chicago just shot the lights out and played the best game they've ever played in their lives, I could have seen the Bucks losing that game and still feeling fine. But then they obviously sure. go out and win by 30, and then they do it again yesterday and win by a lot. And even when the, the Bulls clawed back, they had it in them to just deliver knockout blow after knockout blow. So, yeah, I'm with you. And we mentioned earlier, where do the Bucks stand in the East? I do still think that this is this should be the favorite in the East. Until someone shows they can beat them in a seven-game series, right? Other teams are going to go up 2-0. I, I think, how many game ones did the Bucks lose last year? All of them? Minus Miami? All of them except for Miami. And then in the bubble, they lost both games one, game one, two. They lost in 2019 to Boston. Um, they lose game once under Bud. That's what they do, <laughs> which is uh, which is fine. But yeah, yeah. Th- they're going to go and they're going to lose game one or two against Boston, and I'm going to feel okay about it because I, uh, until someone shows that they can hang with them for a whole series and somehow stop Giannis, who's the best player in the world, then I'm not going to go bet on another team to win. I could be regretting this, what I'm about to say about the Celtics. But if I was a, a Bucks fan, which I am, and I wanted to make the case for why the Bucks will beat the Celtics or could beat the Celtics. Best player in the series, obviously, with Giannis, right? We can just, that's an argument you would make. I actually don't mind that they're starting on the road in this series because Boston has been rolling. They have this momentum. The Bucks don't play well in game one anyways, so why do they need it at home? I, I, I weirdly think there are advantages to starting on the road in an NBA playoff series. I, I think there are positives. It takes the right type of team. The Celtics are also this team, and, and this is the part that I could regret saying. This could make me look stupid in a couple weeks. The Celtics seem like one of those teams that is really finely tuned, well-oiled, very precise. They're, they're just humming, right? And the second that you knock them off balance or you rough them up for a game or you get on the offensive glass, you can kind of rattle them a little bit. This is what the Bucks were in 1819 when the Raptors got them. It's what the Nets and the Suns were last year 
They both got up on the Bucks 2-0, no problem. And then the Bucks got physical and started to wear him down. And all of a sudden, that well-oiled machine isn't so well-oiled anymore. Maybe we're seeing that with the Suns now. The Pelicans have tied it up 2-2, and obviously Booker's hurt. But maybe that's the case with the Celtics, too. They're going to look really good to start the series, and you're going to think, oh, God, the Bucs don't have a chance. And then the Bucs start, they, they just keep coming. There's more physicality, more offensive rebounding, more size. And over the course of a series, that can wear a team down. Maybe the Celtics are a team like that. Maybe not, but but maybe. That's my hope as a Bucs fan. I do think I agree with the first thing you said. Um, I don't know if I would go as far as to agree with the second. I do think there is something to be said about a team where everything goes right and then something finally goes wrong and we don't know how they're going to face it Mm -hmm. because it hasn't gone wrong yet this playoffs. But I do think they have, one, the star power in Tatum and Brown, but two, I do think they have the grittiness that if they get punched in the mouth, they are more than willing to punch back. I wouldn't call them one of those softer teams by any measure. I would maybe go as far as to say the Nets are showing that that is who they are right now, uh, especially in this playoffs. But the first thing you said, it feels weird to say, but I the Bucks might be better on the road. Man. And I don't know if stats back that up, but the eye test for me says that they are a better road team right now. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because, and there's a big thing made. I don't know why it's a big thing. Why do people always complain about putting on the free t-shirt giveaways? Oh, I don't know. Wait, why do people complain or why do people not wear the t-shirts? Why do people not wear them? And then why, why is there a complaining about the not wearing? Who cares? So you don't care if people wear the t-shirt. Is that what you're saying? I don't care if people wear them or don't wear them. And I also don't care if people complain about those who are wearing them or not wearing them. Okay. I don't care about any of it. The weird thing that I don't get, and you are not from Wisconsin originally. So maybe you have an interesting perspective when you see the crowd pans at a brewer game or a Bucks game, and it kind of looks like they just came from a fish fry in a church basement somewhere. <laughs> the style's not great in the state of Wisconsin. That's what I don't get, is somebody will not put on the free t-shirt and instead elect for their tattered and torn Fleet Farm hoodie. And it's like, hey, I love Fleet Farm, but why are you protecting that fit so much? It's like, no, I, I can't put on the free t-shirt. I got to wear my oil-stained, like, auto-value crew neck. <laughs> I don't get it. It's something very weird about Wisconsin crowds. But I, I think the Bucks. to get back to the, the main point, I kind of like starting on the road. I kind of like it. Um, and starting on the road in Boston is no easy game by by any means. I mean, no. maybe, I, and yes, I am completely looking past game five and if there's a game six, and God forbid if there's a game seven against the Bulls. The Bulls are dead. They They are not coming back in this series. They might win one more game in Milwaukee just because the Bucks have been weird at home. But they are not. Giannis is not going to let the Bulls win this series. And, I mean, we saw that this weekend. So, looking forward, and uh, the Nets are not going to win that series. The Nets are also dead. Looking forward, I mean, the X factor in that Celtics series, and you're more of a basketball guy than I am, but I remember for years, Al Horford was always considered the Giannis stopper. Or or he was like the, uh, he's versatile enough to run with people, He's not massive where a bigger center sometimes give him, gives him problems. But for what the Celtics do defensively, Horford's fast. I mean, he could become the X factor. Yet, I feel like starting in that building could help. I Giannis and all those guys, and Allen talked about this, they are feeding off the opposing fans and what they're saying, especially in Chicago, which is like massive little brother complex right now in this series. Yeah, and home games against the Bulls are a little weird because there's so many Chicago people that come up. And I don't necessarily blame Bucks fans for selling their tickets. 
because they can make a lot of money. The Bulls series isn't really a thing anyways. And Chicago has, what, three, four, five, six times the amount of people? Like, you're just going to get fans. So the home court advantage in a Bulls series is a little weird. It would be like Brewers-Cubs. Like, it's a, it's kind of an outlier example and an outlier discussion. The thing that's tough with Boston, and you mentioned Al Horford, Al Horford is, is a good prototype to defend Giannis. It doesn't mean he's going to stop him, right? Andre Iguodala was the LeBron stopper for years, and LeBron would still get, you know, 28-7-7. Seven and seven. But Boston doesn't have a weak link to attack defensively. You saw they were just running Bobby Portis at DeMar DeRozan yesterday, just attacking that over and over and over again. On Boston, you're either going at Al Horford, Marcus Smart, who's a defensive player of the year, or Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are two of the, the most switchable, versatile defensive wings in the NBA. Really not a soft spot on this Boston defense. And that's, I'm having a tough time getting over that. I'm having a tough time feeling good about, currently, especially without Middleton, a Buck Celtic series for that reason. There's just nowhere to attack Boston. I would retort to that, I guess, on the offensive side, when the Celtics have the ball, they're just able to run at Seth Curry or Patty Mills and find that one guy in the net starting five and just destroy him on the defensive side. Yeah. Yet the Bucks, when they take the court, they don't have a player like that. There's no one you point to and say they can be attacked all game long and exploited. At least not in the starting lineup. Yeah, and I'd like to think even, even their defensive players off the bench who might be considered liabilities – like somebody might want to target Grayson and Pat can hold up fine. They're not terrible. They'll hold up fine. And Bobby Portis again, will hold up fine. He might make a great play. He might give up a dunk, but he's not apathetic completely on defense. So even the bucks, lesser defenders, I still feel okay about, you know, relative to some other players on some other teams that are, are real defensive nightmares. Do you think it's fair to call this series coming up, which we will see between the Celtics and the bucks, yes. the Eastern conference finals? Yes. Because I am. Yes. I don't think Jimmy Butler scoring 30 plus a game against the team. That's not Atlanta. Dude, Atlanta is so bad. I wanted to watch Atlanta, Miami last night. Atlanta couldn't even fake being a good viable defensive team for an hour. And I don't know. You're a Philly guy. What do you think of the Sixers? I don't think the Sixers are as good as Milwaukee or Boston. Um, I could tell you coming up because we'll get in across Ooh. the NBA because I want to nice. talk about a certain player in New York as well. And what Stephen a had to say about him because the nets are pretty much dead. Everyone thought that they would, as soon as the playoffs started, they would turn this switch and be the Bucks' biggest contender. But no, that answer is Boston. So we're talking about that. I, I'll give you my take on it. Um, I'm not totally sold, but I'll tell you why. It's Ben Kenny and Grant Bills in on the Bill Michaels Show. Ready? This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Michael show Ben Kenny Grant Bills in for Bill today 877-867-1670 if you want to join the show a lot of chatter already Angel Hernandez and the debacle that was last night Brewers though beat the Phillies one to nothing take two out of three a five and one week puts them tied at the top of the NL Central then you have the Bucks uh, dominant weekend destroying the Bulls twice they're up three one look poised to uh Go on to the next round to face probably Boston. That's where things will get interesting. But Grant, there is also uh, an event Thursday night that uh, we were noting. Bill Michaels draft show, 7 p.m. to midnight on Thursday. 
We're live. We're hearing the picks. We're talking about the picks. We see what the Packers will do. And this is where some of my thoughts come in. So two picks in the first round, 22 and 28. One of them, obviously, they got for uh, Devontae Adams when they traded him away. And that's something we're going to mention as well because the Debo Samuel talk is raging on. I also have thoughts on whether teams really should be trading for these big ticket wide receivers and paying them all this money. Uh, That's coming up probably at the bottom of, of this hour. But in the first round of the draft, so Adam Schefter tweets out earlier today, within the past week, as the draft has drawn closer, multiple teams in the top half of the draft have inquired with others trying to trade back in the first round. So far, the interest in moving back in Thursday's draft has greatly exceeded the interest in moving up. Why is this interesting? Um, There is a thought out there, and and there's a whole chart about draft value. Every draft pick has some numerical value. As The higher you go, obviously, the better. But it's used to think that if, say, I trade a second and a third, I could move into this new spot in the first. It, It tries to equate what it would be worth for teams to trade up and to trade back. Um, once you get to the top of the draft, it is obviously the a, a high number that is hard to get to. We see teams trade two future first to move up to get a quarterback. I've always believed that the only reason you should trade up significantly in the first round is to get a quarterback. Yeah. If someone is falling and you want to jump up three spots to jump another team to maybe get a tackle or a wide receiver, I'm okay with that. But it's really the big ticket trades come when you want to take a quarterback and that is proven to be pretty much the only situation where it's actually worth it because you might get a good player, but the value you're giving up, especially on draft night, right? Cause these trades they're under the gun. You got to throw more in. Uh, you're, you're not getting the value that the pick would normally be worth. So where the Packers stand right now, 22 and 28, very good roster. However, there are some needs to address, obviously tackle depth, Probably interior defensive line. You need some depth at edge. You need some depth at tight end. Maybe at safety. But their glaring weakness right now is wide receiver. They signed Sammy Watkins. Um, and they're, it's looking like Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. And then we'll see. Um, which is, yeah, by no means great. Uh, you trade away Devontae. And then obviously the Debo Samuel talk plays into that. The one thing, Grant, I think the Packers cannot do in the first round from the 22nd pick is trade up. If they are going to trade up for a wide receiver, I think it will be a gross misuse of their resources, and I think they will miss out on a valuable opportunity to bolster the roster as a whole. Part of the reason I believe this, let's say they wanted to trade up to 15 or 14. That'll probably take a second-round pick, if not a first. Mm -hmm. So they're already giving away one of their seconds or that second first rounder to move up to draft, say, Chris Olave or Jamison Williams. Well, it was also written today, Grant, um, Todd McShay, ESPN, had a big draft buzz article. Everything Todd McShay is hearing on top prospects, early picks, team strategies. And one big category was the wide receivers are looking like they're going to go early. That the run, the run on wide receivers is going to happen early in the first round. The only thing you can't do as a drafting team is catch the back end of the run. If you were the one to draft the last wide receiver in that long run, you had to reach up to get him, and you're probably getting a guy that's not as good as the others. So mm-hmm. do I think trading up for Chris Olave would help the team? Yes, I do. But I also don't think 
in this draft, there is a wide receiver like a Jamar Chase or a guy that you know will come in and day one and be a number one. I like Alave. I like Garrett Wilson. I love Jamison Williams. But I don't think any of those guys are worth trading up significantly to go draft. If you're going to hop up two spots, that's different. But packaging up to go jump up to nine, I think is the worst thing the Packers can do in this draft. I'm upset. I'm upset at you because you just made too much sense. I have nothing to add to this. You're right. You're, you're right about all that. Really, the only type of player, the only position that makes it worth trading up is if you're getting a franchise quarterback, right? There's no other position or player, really, maybe there's one or two exceptions over the years, but 99% of the time, there's no edge rusher that's worth an extra first-round pick. Remember when the Saints gave up an extra first to jump the Packers to go get Marcus Davenport? Yes. Like, okay, okay. Like, sure, you can give up a future pick to to get a better edge rusher, but that's not going to tip the scales for your team, right? The draft is this big crapshoot, and you want as many throws at the dartboard as possible. Ben, I use this analogy on my show, and I think it's a good one because I'm a terrible darts player. Would you rather, if you were trying to play cricket or you're playing 300 or whatever the game is, right, would you rather get to stand five feet closer to the draft board or would you rather get to throw five darts instead of three? Five, easily. I'd rather, yeah, exactly. I'd way rather have the extra darts. So when you think about the draft in those terms, you would never want to trade up unless you're getting a franchise quarterback who you believe can lead your team for the next 10 or 15 years. And that's becoming more common, by the way. We're seeing a lot of teams do that. But for a wide receiver or an edge rusher or a tackle, the, the value isn't there, especially the Packers with all of these extra picks. That's the edge for them in this draft. That's their advantage. Don't give that away to get a wide receiver prospect that's markedly better or just markedly better than than another wide receiver prospect. Yeah, and I don't think I would be saying this if there was a generational talent at wide receiver that was going to be out there. When Amari Cooper was coming out of Alabama, he's probably the best college wide receiver I've seen it, since the time he was in college, let's say like I, I watching him in college. I thought he was better than Jamar chase and a bunch of the guys, but you knew when, when chase was coming out when Justin Jefferson, even though the Eagles didn't, but you know, when some of these guys are coming out, like they are going to be studs this class though, Jamison Williams, there, there's some health questions. He tore his ACL in the national title. I love him as a player speed guy and will his health impact the speed I think coming back from ACLs these days, you you really come back close to full strength, yeah. but he's going to, I mean, he's ranked number nine right now on the draft network draft chart. I think he goes top 10. Like uh, teams are talking themselves into him. You have Chris Olave, tremendous route runner, tremendous hands, good athlete, but he's a little small. So we'll see about the physicality when he gets to the NFL, Drake London. I mean, I make the joke that he plays in the pack 12. So what, what are we really going to see from that? But big, <laughs> yeah, yeah. big physical six, four great at the catch point. But is he, uh, he, he's athletic, but is he as polished enough as a route runner to create the space that Devonte would create on the goal line? I don't know. Then, the, then you have Garrett Wilson, who I also love similar ish to Olave. There are so many options that I don't think I can differentiate them significantly. I, I mean, I put out this scenario. I would rather the Packers get, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, one of those guys at 22. Maybe even like you have to reach a little further. You take a, a John Mechie would be a reach, but I don't know. You take a Christian Watson. He's been rocketing up boards. I love George Pickens from Georgia. I do too. But you get one of those guys and you could either take a tackle with 28 
You could take an interior defensive lineman. You could take a safety, Daxton Hill from Michigan. You could trade down and get even more value because teams are stupid mm-hmm. if they trade up into those spots. I think they are perfectly positioned in the draft to make a big impact on their team. And there is a lot of talent at safety. There, It's not a great tight end draft, but there's, there's a good amount of talent at tackle, as there always is. Trading up just to go get a guy they think is going to be great, I think yeah. would be a mistake. The thing is here, I think all of the fans would love it. All the fans want, oh, yeah. let's trade up for Chris Olave. That's why fans don't run football teams. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a first-round prospect that's worth trading up for. You know, all the draft people that I've read uh, say that Jamison Williams would be number one hands down if it weren't for the injury, which surprises me a little because if you're the Lions or the Falcons who are rebuilding or any of these teams that are picking in the top 10, what's your rush to win this year anyways? Why not take Jamison Williams and just wait a year? I If he's that much better and naturally he's so much more gifted than everyone else, which is what I keep reading, I... I would take Jamison Williams, but I get there's there's a little bit of hesitancy because of the ACL. Something that I talked about last week, Ben, and I'm keeping this in the front of my mind as we go into Thursday's draft, especially the first round. Mike Renner was on my show on Thursday or Friday. I don't remember what it, what day it was, but friend we of talked this show. about first round wide receivers. What was that, Ben? I'm sorry. Friend of this show. Friend of the show. Former, it- actually, he was on the uh, Bachelorette, if you didn't know that. Or The Bachelor. I, no, The Bachelorette. I learned about this after the fact. It was the second. The long one. hair. Yeah. Didn't get a lot of screen time from friends that I talked to who, no. who watched that show. No, he did not. Not a lot of screen time for Mike. He was on my show last week, a friend of this show as well, friend of the state. He's from Milwaukee. And he pointed out that all of the first round wide receivers are smaller. They're like your 180 pound guys. Yep. And then the second, third round wide receivers are bigger, which is what the Packers favor. Well, it's actually the only thing they draft. They don't draft small guys. So that's another reason to believe that the Packers probably aren't going to reach. They're probably not going to jump up. They might not take a wide receiver in the first round at all, which would keep their streak going. But this is a little bit of a weird draft in that all of the top prospects are smaller. And I doubt Brian Gutekinds likes that. The the problem here that we're going to face, I guarantee it on Friday, obviously round one is Thursday. Round two is Friday afternoon. So when the Packers don't take a wide receiver in the first round, which I could see happening one, mm-hmm. they haven't done it in forever. That's broken record time of how they literally do not take wide receivers. Two, I, they could use them on two really solid players at other spots of need that will come in and make an impact. But when they don't take one, which I think there is a really good chance of that happening, we're going to have all of Friday for people to freak out before they go get George Pickens. Yeah, which is perfect for my show because I don't go on until four anyways. I don't have to deal with it. Um, when does the round start on Friday? Does it start in the evening still? And then it's the day on Saturday? I believe so. Maybe it's late afternoon. I thought it was somewhere in the afternoon. That check. would be great if three o'clock, five o'clock Packers take a wide receiver five. Well, five, five o'clock MDT. I, I don't know what that means. That mountain oh, time? that's Vegas time. So it starts at six. What is MDT? That is that mountain mountain time. Yeah. Starts at six. Who, 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 whose default time is mountain time? It's either Eastern time or Central Colorado. Time. Yeah, but Utah. Look, look at a TV guide. It's like, oh, it starts at four o'clock mountain time. Well, it's in Vegas. Uh, I suppose. I suppose. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm with you, though. I, I I wouldn't be shocked at all if they didn't take a wide receiver in the first round. Maybe George Pickens at 28 would probably be the best money to bet, I would imagine. And I would be over the moon ecstatic if they did that. I would, too. Have you seen the videos of George Pickens? Uh, Thor, I, I forget his last name, but a guy, uh, Minnesota guy, but he uh, writes for NBC Sports. 
and he's a big college football guy. Minnesota by college okay. football. That's what I mean. Um, he was posting these videos. George Pickens would go over to the bench as he's for the route, the opposing bench, give them a shh motion with, with the finger on the lips. And then it's a running play and just bulldoze the cornerback that was next to him. He has that mentality and sometimes goes a little too far. He got in a couple on field fights, but I, I love the edge he plays with and boy, can yeah. he catch the football? Well, and the Packers love guys who are active and block in the running game. It depends on who you ask whether that matters. Like when we were talking to Mike Renner last week, he's like, I don't particularly care about that, but I know a lot of NFL teams do. George Pickens seems to have that mentality. And also I like the idea of a wide receiver whose value is a little bit suppressed, right? Would George Pickens be drafted higher if he wasn't injured this last year and he wasn't buried on the depth chart behind all of this Georgia town? Like he wasn't buried, but you know what I mean? If he would have played healthy this year and been a standout star and the only good offensive weapon on a lesser known big 10 team, like if he played at Purdue, right. And he was just a monster all year and he didn't get hurt. Would he be drafted higher than where he's going to be drafted? I like the idea of the Packers going after a player like that, whose value is a little bit suppressed. I do too. And I thought it might happen to Jamison Williams. It clearly has not, but that's because Williams played the whole year. George Pickens tore his ACL in the spring and came back for the playoff or maybe the sec title as well. It is ridiculous how fast he came back and how good he looked on the couple reps. He didn't play all the snaps, but how good he looked coming back. I'm with you Um, because there also is that hype machine that builds because I watch way too much college football. I watch every big 10 game. I follow it way too closely, but there is something to be said about in the same with March madness. If a player goes off in March madness, everybody wants their NBA team to draft him. Jimmer for that. If a player goes off in the playoff or looks really good in the title games, everyone is thinking, Oh, look, that guy, eh, he should be our first round pick. When at the same time, there are some players on the team next to him that maybe didn't have the best year, but will be better pros. And I think that's George Pickens. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting um, because there are, there are so many guys in that back end of the first round that I love that I think would yeah. make a big impact. If they could get George Karloftis from Purdue, another beast at the edge spot. And he is, that's, he is that's sliding. A name that I'm coming around to. He was trending on Twitter this morning. All these people were, I'm going to try to find it now. They were arguing about like, why is this guy falling? Like, look at all of these measurables. Look at the numbers. Why is he, because I, I, I saw a rumor today that he might fall out of the first round and people were like, why is this out there? I, I don't know. I like Karloftis. If they got him at 22, I'd love it. Yeah. The, that talk is stupid. That's one of, sometimes people try to outsmart themselves going into events like this, like the draft. Um, I had to take earlier in the year when the college football season was still going that he would be a better pro than Aiden Hutchinson. And I don't know if I'm going to stand by that take, but I think it's going to be a little closer. I love him as a player, but there's so many guys in that area. Um, There are a couple tackles, Trevor Penning, uh, that that they could go after. There's so many opportunities. Louis Cine from Georgia. Uh, So many opportunities to really make the team better. And I know they need a wide receiver, but don't trade up to do it. Don't go crazy. Don't talk yourself into Chris Olave being the next best route runner in NFL history. Don't do that. Can I, can I throw a comp at you? Yeah. You tell me what you think here. So it's from the Todd McShay piece. He wrote that Nicobe Dean, George Karloftis and Tyler Linderbaum may fall out of the first round. I love all three of those guys. Yeah. The one thing with Linderbaum is he's a center I don't know that centers in the first round. I'm just not a fan. Like you get Garrett Bradbury's 
when you do that, right? But here's here's the comp. Brad Spielberger quote tweeted this report from Todd McShay, who said Karloftis is this year's AJ Epinesa. What do you think of that comp? How, how does that make you feel? It's interesting. Um, I need to look up their exact measurables. My brain is telling me that Epinesa was a little bigger just from watching him at Iowa and Purdue. I might just be completely wrong. Um, I don't know at all. I, 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 but, I have no impression. I just, that's an interesting name. An edge rusher who was high production, Big Ten school, blue blood program that fell to the end of the first round or even the beginning of the second, maybe, and then went to Buffalo. Yep. Karloftis to the Packers would be really similar. I, um, they're very inter- They're very similar in the fact that they played on not the best. They're not Ohio State kids. They yeah. played on very classic style Big Ten football teams and were great at their edge position, which means a lot of run defending and run stuffing, which means you're you're in that physical part of the game. It's it's not the Pac-12 where you just try to run around and tackle 30 times a game. And <laughs> the Pac-12 is catching strays in this hour of the Bill Michaels show, and I love it. The Pac-12 always catches strays. Um, it's, I it, love it. It's because they produce a lot of wide receivers that I don't buy. Um <laughs> But they have to do that. They have to rush the quarterback, but they're going against some really good offensive linemen and they're playing in colder weather. If anything, I think it would be guys like Epinesa went to Buffalo. Did he blow the world up as soon as he got there? No, no. but he's a really productive member of that really good defense. Similar thing with Karloftis in Green Bay. You're, it's still going cold weather to cold weather. I think it's a fit that makes a ton of sense. And I mean, you can never have too many good edge rushers. Right. No. The NFL, we mentioned that David Stearns, cheap, controllable players. The NFL, especially with the Rodgers contract, especially with the Jair contract that needs to come. You saw what Denzel Ward got, right? Like they're going to have to pay Jair a lot of money if, if they want to keep him, especially with all the contracts across the board on the Packers right now. If you could get a couple really good impact rookies, like teams usually win Super Bowls when their quarterback is on a rookie contract. You're not going to yep. have that, obviously, with Rodgers. But if you could get a bunch of solid players on rookie contracts, that can kind of offset it. So I'm all in on the idea of, yeah, the positional value comes into play, right? What, what positions get the most money? We think of corner with what Ward just got edge wide receiver. If you can target those players in the first round in those positions, you're going to get such a great value. Whereas I said, I don't like taking centers because the highest paid center in the league doesn't make relatively that much more than a rookie the way that an edge rusher or a wide receiver or a corner would. So if you're stuck between two or three players, where are you going to get the, uh, get the best value? I like Epinesa for that reason. Any wide receiver, any, uh, any corner as well. You can never have enough corners. It's the same with edge rushers. Um, ben- Benjamin Solak, NFL writer for the ringer used to be the draft network. Love his work, his mock draft. He said, I did my one and only mock draft. I'll do all year, man at 28. Or at 22, I'm sorry, first, Packers, George Karloftis. At 28, Packers, George Pickens. That would that would be the dream. That would probably be my best case scenario. Yeah. And it's it I've watched the Packers long enough and I've seen enough drafts. There's no way that happens. No, there's (laughs) no way. It's too obvious. I've never walked away from a Packers draft and thought, of course. Of (laughs) course, that's exactly what we thought they were gonna do. Right. But maybe this is the year. I'll get suckered in. Yeah. All right. Your thoughts on that? 877-867-1670. Would you trade up for a wide receiver? Grant and I are both against it. We think there's value later in the draft. 
and it would be a mistake to go up and try to get a guy. I also want to talk about the wide receiver position as a whole because you mentioned positional value. I think it's ridiculous. Some of these guys is, are getting this amount of money and this amount of draft capital from teams. That's all coming up next. It's Ben Kenny, Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The Bill Michaels Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.